Bruchim Aboyim B'Shem Hashem Berachnuchem V'Veis Hashem Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shiur. And we're back on track on a Wednesday night. Oh, Scranton, you made it back. That's nice to see you. Thank you. Hope everything went well there. The shiur Ilan Ishmas Ephraim Rechanan Yom Tavlipa whose Kaddish will be finishing next week, Mirza Hashem, Hei Shvat, uh, hey, Kisle, Dalit Kisle, actually. Also, we finished most all of the Kadeshim. Barring Rachmin Ben Nama, whose yard site will be on Sunday. Estebas Menashe and Khurshizbas Ruhami. Those are the basic dedications of the Shir and Nasan of Yesivzal. Saidabas Menashe Abinani. Shkedish Kislev. Um, I was saying before to my son that generally when we discuss a Yom Tov, um, we discuss what happened on the Yom Tov. And Pesach we talk about Tzis Mitzrayim, Shavuos about Matan Teda, etc. Yutas Kislev we talk about Chaga Geula, the Altarebbe came out of jail, out of prison. Yubeis Tamba Zuchag Agula, Fridik Rebbe. And we read, and we know all about the histories. We constantly hear other stories, other people that tell us. Obviously, nobody was there by Yuteskis' story. Nobody there to tell the story today. Yudbeis Tamba, we may still have a few handful of Siddim. This is our generation. Personally, on a personal note, I was not here in New York. We were sent away on Shlichas in the month of El Toshin Lamed Zion, 5737. And this took place on Simchasteda. Tav Shalom Ches 5738 So we obviously were away, we were out of town and back in the 70s this is pre-internet days believe it or not there was a life, people lived a life without internet without cell phones without smartphones Without the technology we have today that we would laugh at if you said, Heh, you're kidding me. In 20 years from now, we're going to have... I mean, who imagined that we'd sit and talk to our friend face-to-face on a phone? I'm not going to tell you that my phone, I remember dialing it with a handle. But I did have a circular dial, which we dialed phone numbers with. And people had phones in their houses. And if the person was on the phone, you got a busy signal. Today, if a person's on the phone, you have caller ID... You have a, a call waiting, which beeps into the call. And Nishginug, it's not enough. If you don't answer the phone to them, they'll send you a text. Why aren't you answering my call? The old days, you picked up the phone, the receiver, 
and you were able to walk as far as the wire reached. And in the beginning, there was no such thing. There was only table phones or desk phones. And you picked up the phone and you talked on the desk, and that was it. You sat in your place and you spoke. Today, people walk in the streets talking. They can't stop talking. They have things in the ears. The things get smaller and smaller. You don't even see that they have it. It looks like 80% of the population is walking around the street talking to themselves. God bless America. And everywhere else in the world. Because obviously America is not the only one. And yet, technology is bringing the world closer and closer, making it smaller and smaller. Well, back in 1977, in the Tavshan Ahmed Zayin, there was no such thing. The phone was only a desk phone with a short cord. I think we went once to New York and someone found a long cord. Hoo-wah! This is a chiddush. So they plugged in the long cord into the phone that was in the, by the front desk of Yeshiva. And when you, if you got a phone call or if you made, well, you didn't make a phone call. You only got phone calls. You couldn't make phone calls. They were prohibitively expensive. If you got a phone call and you wanted to talk to the person privately, you were able to walk outside with the receiver in your hand because the wire reached. For that, there was no privacy. Everyone was sitting around and you couldn't say anything. You tried to talk into the phone. Said Gunish Gahofen. So a phone call at the time, I believe, from where we were, was like $7 a minute. And at $7 a minute, in those days, it was a substantial amount of money. So when this happened on Simchas I, if I remember correctly, the Shliach himself was privy to the story who was not, um, shall we say, generous enough to share with us. He didn't know how to deal with it. He didn't know who to ask. Tell us, not tell us. The Rebbe had suffered a major, major heart attack in middle of Middle of the Rebbe suffered a major heart attack. So much so, the doctor said to prepare the chassidim for the worst. The doctor said there was really no hope that this was going to go through the night. The Mosquitos, the Secretariat, did not know what to say, what to do, how to do, how to deal with it. And therefore the Mosquitos themselves Um, had to figure out how to, how to deal with it, how to tell the chassidim, what to tell the chassidim. And it was a trauma for everybody. Needless to say, Baruch Hashem, the world is full of people that like to talk, but even more so, people that like to think, like everyone to think, they're in the know, that they know everything best. And therefore, they have to tell. They have to tell, this is what happened, this is what's happening, this is what's going on. Whether it was true, whether it was not true, it was irrelevant. But they were important, because they said they had, they, they had information. And if you got a circle around you to tell, you the, to tell the information to, ooh la la, how much greater was that? 
And obviously, you had those that didn't know something, that heard something, that could have heard something. And those obviously people that unfortunately didn't hear but wanted to hear, could have heard. The doctors told the chassidim, told the, the mosquitoes to prepare the chassidim. Doctors knew the chassidim were fanatical and what God forbid would happen. And therefore they were very concerned. The shul had to be vacated. The Rebbe sat down. He asked the shamas, the gabai, it's not too much trouble, can you give me my chair? The Rebbe was suffering a very massive heart attack and turned to the Gabbai and says to him, if it's not too much trouble, please pass me my chair. Didn't want to trouble him, to be matriachim. And the Rebbe sat down and I believe they finished our office in a very expeditious fashion I don't remember if the Rebbe danced the last time up or not they wanted to carry the Rebbe upstairs I believe the Rebbe went upstairs on his own volition walked upstairs slowly steps obviously are the most strenuous for a person the Rebbe was was Rebbe and as a Rebbe the Rebbe is very proud and the Rebbe is also a king and therefore The Rebbe walked. The Rebbe came into his room and locked the door behind him. He didn't want anyone coming in. People were standing and begging and pleading. But the Rebbe would not open the door. The Rebbe would not see anybody. They wanted to get medical help in the Rebbe. The Rebbe wasn't seen. Finally, the Rebbe's sister-in-law, the Rashag's wife, came to the door, knocked on the door and said the magic words, In the name of my father, in the name of my father, open that door. Mention of the previous previous Rebbe, the Rebbe's father-in-law, the Rebbe would not dare not to listen, and immediately the Rebbe opened the door. Dr. Weiss from Chicago, years later in the Sudha Saydois, recounted, said that he went to medical school for many years, but he learned more medicine from those few months sitting with the Rebbe, treating the Rebbe, than he learned all the years in school. Since the Rebbe had such a deep insight on medications, on treatments, it was just unbelievable. It was a long road. The entire month of Cheshvan went by. The Rebbe stayed in his room. They wanted to bring the, the hospital. They wanted to take the Rebbe to the hospital. The Rebbe said, "Bring the hospital here." And the hospital was set up in the Rebbe's room. And finally, on a Shkodesh Kislev, it was the first time that the Rebbe actually went home to his house on President Street. The joy was boundless. Immeasurable. The chassidim danced all night long. They danced the hakafis that were not finished. Later on, Hanukkah, the Rebbe made a, had a fabrengen, called a fabrengen, and the Rebbe told everybody to wash. 
At the end of Fabrengen, the Rebbe gave out Kesha Bracha. Wine from his holy cup. Since he had not given out a matzah from Kastera. So not to deprive his children. This is therefore a day of joy. We had the Shabbos of Archim, we had the convention of the Shluchim. Thousands and thousands of Shluchim came from all over the world. I will not tell you all the Shluchim came, because I know my son wasn't here in New Zealand. But thousands of Shluchim were here. And it was a beautiful, beautiful sight. The camaraderie, the unity, the Fabrengans, and the Shluchim had their kinnus, their, banque- their banquet on Sunday. And Yaakov Hazachadarkei, Baruch Hashem, they all returned home. And this is an annual thing on Shchedish Kislev, Shabbos, Varchem Shchedish Kislev, or Shchedish Kislev itself, for the Shluchim to all come together for this convention. And tomorrow night, I believe, in 770, will be, Mir a Fabrengen of Chasidim celebrating Shchedish Kislev. Let's turn focus. The parashas tail dates, which we've not even mentioned. This is parashas parashas tail dates. Eile tail dates Yitzchak ben Avraham, Avraham hederes Yitzchak. This is the birth of Yitzchak, the son of Avraham. Avraham bore Yitzchak. Why the repetition? The son of Avram and Avram bore Yitzchak. And Rashi says, Shayyalitzanyadir, the critics of the generation, Aimnim was saying, Mavi Melech the Savra Sara. Sara became pregnant from Avi Melech, etc. Maasakarj Barakhu, what did Akadish Barakhu do? To avoid this criticism, he made Yitzchok's appearance exactly like that of Avram. Nobody confessed. Avram gave birth to Yitzchok. Back in Vayeda. When the children of Sarah were nursing, <coughs> Hinika Banim Sarah, Sarah, who only had Yitzchak, Pasik says Banim, multiple children. Rashi explains on the day of the Mishnah on the day of the party Hevi Asaris Benehem Yimayim Venikahisam All the big generals brought their infants and so nursed them as well. Show you Emirates because they were saying Lay Yolda Lay Yolda Sada Elasufi Bia Bia It was another woman they brought in. So by Sada it says Rashi explains Hasarois, which was the royalty, the women of royalty. 
were mocking and saying, <coughs> When in our Pasha, by Avram it says, the, the jokers of the generation, saying that Avimelech Nisabra Sora, Avimelech fathered the child. The difference, why? Simply speaking, the fact that Sarah gave birth to Yitzchak was a tremendous wonder. Because we know Chadali is the Sarah in Kenoshim. Sarah no longer had a cycle. A menstrual cycle had depleted, had totally ceased. That helps things. So according to nature, it wasn't even a thing that she should give birth. It's not possible. And yet, And yet, she had this child. Whereas by Avram Avinu, the birth of Yitzchak wasn't such a shock. Because we saw that he gave birth, he, had, he fathered Yishmoel only a short time before that. He was 86 years old when he fathered Yishmoel. So it was no shock that at 100 he gave birth to Yitzchak. So by Sarah, the royalty, the women of royalty that did not believe she gave birth and therefore they also said but the capability of Avram to father a child even as an older person you couldn't deny this so who could Talk about it. Who could mock this? Only the Litzani out there. They weren't interested in the truth. Therefore they mockingly said, Avimelech fathered the child. Tzara clustered upon him. We said that HaKadosh Baruch Hu formed the face of Yitzchok to be exactly like that of his father Avram, so there'd be no doubt that Avram Avinu was the father. It sounds like a miracle. Sounds like a miracle. Wow! A baby looked like his father. Now we're going to have all the men go home and look at their children and say, Anybody look like me? Hmm! It must be a miracle. How does a child look like their father? Rashi says it was only done by a miracle that Yitzchak looked so much like Avram that everybody knew it was his son. Seriously. A miracle? What child doesn't look like the father? Doesn't resemble somewhat the father? How and what was that a miracle? The fact is, the nature of a person is usually reflected on their face. For the most part, there are those that are experts and they can tell, they look at a person, they know what kind of person they are. And there are those, fool me once, fool me twice, don't always recognize
person could be, shall we say, wishy-washy. When a person is refined, and a person is idle, and kind, and giving, you see that on their face. Their eyes reflect it. The aura they give off. And the same way, the opposite. The person that is extremely stringent, gruff, impatient, you see those guys' faces too. And you cross the street when you see them. Avram Avinu, his root was chesed. Yitzchok was givura. Chesed is kindness. Givura is strength. So Avram who was the man that sat by the tent waiting for guests, had a tent open from four sides and was only looking to help people and to do favors and daven for the people of Sidaim. Avram's face glowed and radiated chesed. Whereas Yitzchak radiated Gvura. And yet, HaKadosh Baruch Hu made such a mephis, such a miracle, that the total appearance of Yitzchak was exactly that of Avram's. Therefore, yes, when Rashi says, cluster upon him, HaKadosh Baruch made his face look exactly like him, it was miraculous. Reb Goen tells a story. There was once a very wealthy man. And he decided he wants to do a special mitzvah. A mitzvah that will remain with him forever. He decided to seek out a destitute, forsaken um, hopeless case in their own eyes person and he would to give him a lot of money and make him wealthy for a mo- in that moment he figured this mitzvah would forever remain in his credit a tremendous mitzvah so he wrapped a large sum of money in a beautiful handkerchief and he set out into the streets and he set out to search for this poor person that would totally have forgiven up on, that given up on life and felt that he had no hope. And he met a pauper. And he says, How do you support yourself, Rabid? And the man said, My uncle, I have an uncle, a wealthy uncle. From time to time, on occasion, he'll send me money. So I'll have a few prutas in my hands, I'll have a few kupkis. The wealthy man said, eh, This man relies that Hashem is going to send him money through his uncle. 
he knows he's going to see money. He's not, he didn't give up hope. So he went further. He met another pauper. What do you do for a living? I have a job. I earn a few pennies. <laughs> Not looking for this guy either. He's, he's, he doesn't fit the criteria that I'm looking for. Then he's walking and he sees a beggar rummaging through the rubbish, through the garbage. He's looking never for scraps of food to eat. And the wealthy man says to him, It seems that you don't expect to have a good day in your life. It seems to me you lost all hope. And you think that you'll always be poor. That's why you're rummaging through the garbage to eat. <coughs> poor man turns to him in shock. Why do you say that? I haven't lost hope. I trust in Hashem, and He will support me. Every day of my life, if Hashem wants it, I can even become rich one day. Uh, The wealthy man was so, so despondent from one part, humbled from another, seeing the emuna, the simple belief that people have in Hashem. He's not finding Hino. He's not going to find this pauper. He decided though the money, I'm not taking home this money. So he went to the cemetery and he dug a hole and he put the money in the hole of the cemetery. Buried it. Years passed, and the wheel of fortune took a turn. And this wealthy, wealthy man, unfortunately, became a horrible pauper. And he would go from door to door asking for alms and handouts. One day, (laughs) he remembered that years ago, he had buried a small fortune in the cemetery. If he goes now and takes this money, this will put him back on his feet. And so he went to the cemetery and he started to dig. It didn't take too long and the police arrived. And they arrested him. They thought he was digging up graves. And this, unfortunately, was not just a crime punishable by jail or by a fine, but literally they could hang a person for this. So he was judged in court, and before the final verdict, the tradition was that the accused was able to go to the mayor of the city and talk to him and plead his case and maybe sometimes the mayor pardoned him so they brought him to the mayor and he told the mayor excuse me I was not digging up a grave many years ago I was very wealthy And I took a large sum of money, a small fortune, and he tells him the whole story. And I went from pauper to pauper to see who I can give this money to, to change their entire life. And nobody fit the criteria of a person that had given up hope on life. And so, 
I buried the money in the cemetery. And now, unfortunately, I am on very hard times. And I need to find some kind of source of money. And I remembered they had this money buried. And amongst all the people I'd gone to, I even saw a, a pauper rummaging in the garbage for a scrap of food. And still, the man had not given up hope. The mayor smiled at him. And the mayor says to him, Don't you recognize me? I was the pauper you saw rummaging in the garbage. You thought I lost hope. And I told you I trust in Hashem. Hashem could do anything. And if He wants, He could make me rich. And now you see how true that was. Hashem brought me here because I trusted in Hashem. So we see, therefore, the destiny of a person is always in the hands of God. And one needs to have the Munab Shuta and full belief and faith to understand and believe that Hashem can always fix your predicament. And it's not a predicament that you yourself got yourself into. It's a predicament that Hashem put you into and Hashem can take you out of it. And may Taka no Jew ever be stuck in any predicament. Not financially, not mentally, not physically. any kind of predicament so that there should always be peace, peace of heart, peace of mind and that we should be able to merit the ultimate harmony of the days of Mashiach we learn about this week's Pasha the twins the twins Yaakov and Esau we learn about their birth and we hear about the day of the funeral of Avraham Avinu where Yaakov and Esav do a transaction and Esav sells his firstborn rights. Rashi tells us Esau was like a chazer. The, por- the pig has an interesting thing. The pig has one of the two signs of a kosher animal. It has split hooves. But it doesn't chew its cud. But what does the pig do? pig sits in such a way that the hooves are exposed. Anyone walking by sees the hooves. So that the pig tries to fool the person that he is kosher. Kedah tells us about Esav. He was Ish Yedeya Tzayid. Ish Sada, a hunter, a man of the fields. And Rashi says, What is he a day at Sayyid? He knew how to trap. Rashi tells us he knew how to twist words and to deceive and fool people, and especially his father. And he went to his father and he asked him, 
Father, how do we tithe salt? And how do we tithe straw? He figured, his father will say, wow, if he's worried about tithing even his salt and his straw, he must be such a special person. He must be so religious. Simple question here. Honestly speaking. If Asaph wanted to depict himself as a God-fearing person, he's doing it just the opposite with this question. First of all, he shows what kind of boor he is, what kind of fool. For everyone knows that salt and straw are potter from Isa. They're exonerated. Secondly, if you are so articulate with your mitzvahs, and you're so careful with your mitzvahs, then you know how to take Misa. You know how to tithe. You know how to take 10% off whatever you have. By asking the question, how do I tithe? He's showing that he's an ignoramus. But the truth is, Asaph's questions were much deeper than that. The tithing, which Asaph was referring to, we separate from the, the bundles of wheat, stalks of wheat. Here he's talking though, about the tithing that Avram Avinu did. His grandfather Avraham, it is written, he took 10% of everything he had, he gave to Malkitzedek 10% of everything. Everything Avram owned, he gave 10% of it. Which means also salt and straw. The question Asaph had was not, is there an obligation to give Misa tithing of salt and straw? But rather, how do we do it? What does this mean? We need to evaluate the salt and the straw. We need to know a number, what its value is. Now to evaluate straw for salt, for example, there are two ways. One is the actual value of the salt, a pound of salt. And one, how valuable is salt in the kugel that you're making, in the fried eggs that you're making, or any other dish that you're making, which salt is applied in order to enhance the taste of the food. So do we try to tithe from the pound of salt, which has one type of value, which is not much, or do we take from the salt that's in your food, which is much more valuable, because if you don't put salt in, what the food tastes like? The same thing with straw. Straw itself, what's it worth already? When you use the straw for heating up, for making bricks, etc., now they're a valuable commodity. So which way 
Which straw do we take? The valuable one or the worthless one? This was therefore the question of Esav. How do we tithe the salt and the and this straw? On their own reconnaissance, on their own existence, or when they're being used for their service, for their purpose. Therefore Yitzchak thought, this is Taka Lamdash a question. And therefore Yitzchak wanted to bless Esav. But the truth is, we still got, we're still missing here something in this picture. Yitzchak knew that Esav never had God's name on his lips. He never said Baruch Hashem, Yetz Hashem, etc. God, thank God, God willing. He never used these expressions. He did not depict himself as God-fearing. In that case, how did he make this mistake to think that he was righteous? And that he was careful, careful with mitzvahs so much so that he wanted a blessing. But let's get real. Yitzchak knew who he was dealing with. He knew who his Esav was. He knew he was wicked. But he was at a level what's called Yisrael Mumer. Even you want to call a heretic, a picatus, but it's a Jewish one. And although he was such a heretic and in denial of the Torah and mitzvahs and God, Yitzchak saw the root of his soul and recognized how high and great it was. Unfortunately, when it came down to this world, as it came down, it kept going. And therefore he wanted to bless him so that he can materialize the essence of his lofty soul. The essence of Esav is hinted in the salt and the straw. Salt in its own is bitter. A general person does not take a handful of salt and eat it. (laughs) But if you're also cooking with salt, and you add too much salt, famous story that Al-Tarebbe, when Karolina came for Shabbos, when the Karolina was coming for Shabbos, the Rebetzin used to cook but now she had given over her cooking duties to her daughter. But now the Karlina was coming, she wanted to cook for the Karlina. And although a little dintero went out between them, it was decided that she helped with the cooking. So one of the things she decided to help with was she to add salt into the soup. That would be her status. Unbeknownst to her, the regular chef, her daughter, already added salt. A little later on, before Shabbos, the Altarebbe said, I have such a special guest. I want to do something in the kitchen for him. So he took a handful of salt and put it in the soup as well. Well, children, when they served the soup, the Karolina couldn't put it in his mouth. The Altarebbe just ate the bowl. Ate straight through. And he asked the Karolina, what's wrong? And the Karolina says, it's very salty. 
The Alter Rebbe said, I didn't notice. Anyway, that's the story with salt. When you put too much salt, too many cooks spoil the broth. When you put too much salt in a food, the food is inedible. When you put too little salt, it's not much better. You need to put the right amount. My grandmother always used to tell us, you ask her for a recipe, she says, I can't give it to you because it's in my hands. I cook with my hands. I take salt, I put it in, I put that. I put everything in my hand. <laughs> she said, though, very interesting, it's better to add salt at the table, because that you could do. But you can't subtract salt. So if you cook and you put too much salt in it, it's finished. You can't do anything with it. If there's not enough salt, you add, so you salt it. The essence of Asaph was hinted in salt and straw. As we just said, salt itself is bitter. Used correctly, it's amazing. Straw itself, what is it really? But the, what are these straw for? The straw came from protecting the wheat. This is the essence of Asaph. That in those days, he wasn't ripe for the fixing. And therefore, and this will bring about, and this man of the Gula. And Bibias Mashiach Zikainu Bukharev Mamish. So, what did Yitzchak actually see? Yitzchak loved Esav and, ya- and Rivka loved Yaakov. And Rivka ultimately had to fool Yitzchak to give her the, to make the, Yitzchak get the brachas to Yaakov. Although Esav tried to hide, and Yitzchak himself was blind, Yitzchak had his number very well. And the Medrash tells us an interesting story. If you give me score on the Gemara and Saita, you'd gimel Amralif. And it goes to the other side. Well, the Gemara tells us That when he came, they came to bury Yaakov in Kever Ochel, in Kever Oviz, in Maras Machpelah, Esav came to protest. And Chushim, the son of Don, was deaf and didn't know what was going on. He didn't hear the shouting, obviously. But he asked what's going on. They told him what was going on. And he got very upset. I went over to Esau and made him a head shorter. He decapitated him. And his head rolled into the cave of Yitzchak. Yitzchak. His father. No. <laughs> and therefore, the head of Esav belongs in the boundaries of Yitzchak. Now, just like Yitzchak had an Esav, same was also Avram had a Yishmael. Yishmael did tshuva in his old age. Esav didn't. But still in all, Esav goes under the boundary of Yisrael Mumer. 
as we said before, if you keep a score at home, you can mark a kedush and yitches on the beginning of Amar Aleph. By the way, the fact that Yitzchak had Nesav, Avram had Yishmol, if you keep a score at home, is a psachim. The Gemara psachim involved Amar Aleph. Yitzchak gave in a Yerusha to Esav. Yerusha to Esav and Asati. Whereas Yishmoel, even though that he did Shuvah, he remains a Goy, and did not inherit at all from Avram, the Yirash ben Ha'oma. This is the difference between their essences. Yishmoel in his essence was not a part of Avram. He was a Goy, even though Avram fathered him. Whereas Esau, his essence, his real down inside, was the son of Yitzchak. And therefore remained always together of Yisrael. A mummer, a heretic, but he is Jewish heretic. Although he sinned and didn't do tshuva, didn't repent, but his roots, his source, was bound with Yitzchak. And this clarifies the story of the Medrash, about the, er, the head of Esau being buried with Yitzchak. Not Esau's entire body was bad. His head, which is the highest part, was tied and bound to the world of Kedusha of Yitzchak. However, a reish, a head, is always attached to the body. And therefore it's brought down to the lowest of low. So much so, that it cannot repent. But the above roots, they never get eradicated. More so, the roots and source of Esav were in such a high level with godliness and holy sparks that were hidden within Esav. And ultimately we have Unclus, the Ger, the Meir, they were children of Esau's converts. So much so that we saw Yitzchak saw in Esau his roots and his sparks and therefore he loved him and wanted to bless him amongst all his havoc. Rivka on the other hand she knew that this was not even a thing. Esau was no good to the root. And when his head separated from his body, when Esau was in this world, and his head was attached to his body, he was a mushkis. He was a pera adam. The head of Esav itself, therefore, was buried with Yitzchak. But the essence of of Esav was not. This we, therefore, see the great devotion and dedication Yitzchak had to try to save Esav. Trying to bring him closer. Trying to connect to him. And this all living before Matan Before the name Yisrael. He was still only a son of Yitzchak, so much more so today. To be mistakal on the head, to look at the head, the roots, and to try to redeem ourselves on this ultimate point, the Judaism that's hidden within him, and v'olu mashim v'hatzin l'shbeit z'hareisav, as we said, v'hoysel Hashem amlucha, and v'yetz Hashem Hashem achod, Ushmayachad, in Yerushalayim, Yerakhoidish, this Shabbos.
Shabbat Shalom and a Shabbat Shalom to all.